Happy Holidays, and Merry Christmas, which is today, on the day that this is releases. Uh, if you celebrate it, I hope you get all the presents. My present to you is the Bingies. Now that we've watched season one of Sons of Anarchy, it's time to introduce the Bingies, where I give out some meaningless awards and do other silly things like trying to recap the season in rhyme, for which I don't actually need these headphones. I don't know why I have them on my head right now. It's unnecessary. Hi, and welcome to Belated Binge, Sons of Anarchy. I'm Zach, your host, binging some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I nearly missed out on, like Sons of Anarchy, which I didn't watch until like four years after the series finale and after I bought a Harley. It wasn't the other way around. I bought the bike, then I found this show, and then I binged this show, and then I loved this show, and now I have a podcast talking about this show. Regardless, let's give away some bingey awards. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we get into it, as always, there's probably spoilers, there's probably language, and you probably need to earmuff whoever needs it. Shout out to Katie holding it down for the Bonus Binge Squad on Patreon. As lonely as it is, I still greatly appreciate it. Let's not screw around. Let's get into some binges. So if you are picturing Michael Scott emceeing with Dwight on production, giving away silly, meaningless awards to characters on The Office while Pam is getting tanked, falling over, and making out with Jim, that's exactly what we're doing here. Except I'm alone. Uh, So let's start off with the only way that feels appropriate. I shall set the scene. You're minding your own business at your local Chili's. You had a long day at work, and you're on your third light beer because you're flat broke, and you don't care to prove that you're a beer snob. Your half rack of ribs just arrived, still steaming on the plate. You tuck your napkin in your shirt because you only have three work shirts, and you care more about not buying a fourth than what anybody thinks of you. You pick up that barbecue-covered slab of meat and bone, and just as you lift it to your fully, fully gaped jowls, which I can't do currently because I had a, a, a wisdom tooth yanked out of my head recently, and my mouth only goes so wide. Anyways, uh, you see a strange man holding a microphone with the hood pulled up of his all-black zip-up hoodie, and an even stranger-looking dude in a mustard-colored shirt starts playing music. And then you hear the bingies. How can I explain it? I was late to come around, so we're calling it belated. It's never been debated because the binge is underrated, but to anybody here, I'm so happy that you made it. Now first, before the best and worst, let's remember what has happened from the episodes you heard. We were first introduced to Mr. Cool Guy Jax and found out quick he was going to be a dad when his late night ride was interrupted with a bang from a rival club who stole the guns meant for a gang because see Jax is part of a motorcycle club and they make their living on the streets selling guns. Turns out their supply comes from the real IRA who were none too pleased to hear about said bang. It took quite a long time to free the club from the debt and all the while Jax was reconnecting with his ex and she brought along a stalker who happened to be a fed and this becomes a problem when he holds her hostage in her own bed. Thinking on her feet, she shoots him in the gut and calls in Jax, who spills ATF blood. This act may have bonded these two souls for life, but the end for the club is nowhere in sight. They've got to find a way to navigate a hit, and it all goes wrong for Opie jumping back in. 
He's been in jail and keeping his nose clean until money and wife problems bring him back on the team. The hit goes amiss and there's a witness who sees it all, and this is the perfect opportunity for ATF agent Stahl. She hangs Opie out to dry to make it look like he lied, and the news of the real witness doesn't reach the club in time. Bullets meant for Opie's head end up with his wife dead, and Jax knows it all and vows to clean up the mess. If you're still here, you must enjoy the stress, and now we're giving out awards that are virtually meaningless. You're down with the Benjis, yeah, you know me. You're down with the Benjis, yeah, you know me. You, well, joke landed. Let's give away some Benji Awards for season one of Sons of Anarchy. I put two ones up for those watching. That's 11, actually, or two if you do math. In no scenario is it one, I guess unless you multiply. One by one is one. Our first category award is going to be the best protagonist from season one of Sons of Anarchy. And for me, this is Opie. I would have never guessed in a million years that this could ever not be Jax Teller. I actually thought it was a useless award to give away because it's always going to be Jax. But looking beyond the obvious and actually like kind of picking apart the season, this is Opie's season. He's not in every episode, but the through line for the entire season is tied to him. His reintroduction to the club, how he got locked up in the first place, the impact that had on his family, his struggles financially, and with his marriage. And then he's obviously the major climax plot with Agent Stahl setting him up and the bait and switch where Donna gets killed instead of him, friendly fire. I mean, the whole way, from from episode one, Jax tries to uh, bring him back in for the boom, and we learn about him, and he ends up not coming, and blah, 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 but that was a big Opie thing, even though he wasn't so much in the episode, and then the um, the guy Kyle coming back, like, that was all about Opie, even though the rest of the episode, like, it didn't, none of these episodes until the stall stuff really, like, put Opie at the center from a, like, uh, specific spotlight standpoint, but he was at the center of almost every plot point that was going through season one. And so it's kind of cool to see that outside of Jax, there's really not any super important plot points that go on in season one that don't involve Opie in some way Again, outside of Jax, um, because Jax always has more going on because he has stuff going on inside and outside the club that we see more pertinently. Um, so, like, the him and Tara stuff isn't really Opie-centric. But, like, I guess club plot <laughs> um, kind of revolves all around Opie in this season, which I had never truly thought about or noticed until this rewatch that I'm doing for the podcast. And... As I've mentioned in past episodes, Opie's kind of become a more uh, central figure for my mind, like, as I'm watching, because, I don't know, um, I think I said this when Cousin Amy was here, I think this might be the first time that I'm going back to watch this show, uh, particularly from the beginning, since I've been a dad. Um, I think that the other times that I went back after my daughter was born, I went back to, like, it, maybe I like started 
at season five and watched it through the end or something like that or, or I might have just like picked one of the seasons to watch I don't think I've I don't think I've gone back to now <laughs> like uh, uh since she was that that I can remember anyways and I think Opie is a character that hits a lot harder when you're a parent uh when you're yeah I, I don't know that's just my opinion on the thing and I assume that you are interested in my opinion if you're listening or watching this because you know it's my podcast uh I I also appreciate the fact that Obi's not flawless in this season either you know he's he's dealing with the struggle of the the push and pull between his club and his family and he makes mistakes that contribute to the ultimate act of his wife being killed by his own club. And I just think that makes him a very interesting protagonist character in season one. Which leads us to our next character award, which is best antagonist. And there are plenty of choices for this because... There's a lot of conflict in this season with a lot of outside parties for the club. Like, I think maybe even more so than later seasons. I think if I'm, I mean, I might be talking out of pocket a little bit here, but I think the one thing that season one had that the other seasons don't is a little bit more, um, I don't want to call it like total unpredictability because that insinuates that the rest of the seasons are going to be predictable, and I don't think that that's true. But I think that there was more misdirect and more options for the what is our season-long like challenge or problem that we're trying to solve or like our season-long villain. Who is that for season one? That wasn't as clear as later seasons. Like... um and I'm not going to go super duper spoilery because I know there are some people that are listening to this that are watch or watching the show for the first time. But each of the next um, six seasons of the show have a more consistent, like we may have things along the way that we button up or deal with or have to overcome. But there's like there's like a a a, a consistent villain or a consistent problem that goes through each season a little bit more I think than what season one did one of the things I know that I mentioned is back in I believe it was episode eight we were we were blowing um agent cone's head off of the wall like it was set up as if he might be what our season one like big finale villain evil boss gonna die like challenge is gonna be and he was gone by episode eight they wrapped up the the debt with the irish you know either like right after that i think it was um and so it was like these two things that have been major plot points in season one were done and the season was only two-thirds of the way over and and i thought that that I actually think I like that because you don't expect that when you're watching a TV show. When you watch shows and you get the gist, you're kind of like, oh, this is going to be our thing for the season, right? And that's what the later seasons have. But in this one, there were multiple things and they actually kind of got 
resolved in unexpected and unpredictable ways, which I appreciated from season one. So that leads me to who is that best antagonist from season one? It's Stahl. She's the perfect villain because she's actually on the right side of the law, but she plays completely dirty to make sure that we hate her because our protagonists, you know, our heroes are anti-heroes. They're the bad guys. They are the ones breaking the law. (laughs) Um, And not only that, but she also makes choices that leave lasting impacts. It's not like Cone, who's a creepy stalker and gets his head blown off without really doing lasting damage. You know, obviously there was awful shit that happened to Tara, but it doesn't have the staying power strictly from like an antagonist standpoint. And it definitely didn't impact really the club so much. He followed them around. He gave Stahl a clue at one point in time, but most of the time he was just going rogue and attacking Jax in his you know pursuit of Tara and wound up physically attacking Tara. But like it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't something that was that lingers, you know, for for the club after he's gone. He's just gone. Darby and Alvarez are also great at different moments and and could in their micro moments could easily win like who's the worst at the time, but they do sort of both reach like a little bit of an understanding with Clay and kind of settle down by the end of the season. So in the short term, they're kind of moved to the back burner. Stahl's the one that's awful from the moment that she's introduced. She stays awful throughout, and she has real, meaningful, long-lasting consequences for the damage that she invokes on the club and Opie's family and the internal workings of the club. Like, she's a big old problem, and she stays a big old problem, the whole time, making her the best antagonist of this season, and for the spoilery part of this, she's not gone away. She's still breathing. She still has a badge. She still has it out for these guys. She's gonna be back. So now, let's give away best supporting role in this season, and for this one, (laughs) I can't really believe it, but I'm going with Half Sack. Strictly within the context of this television show and the character in this season, he's really good. He's really funny. He actually has depth to his character. And I remember watching the first time and being excited for his potential journey and character arc that they seemed to be setting him up for. Like, I really felt like he was going to have a major role in this show. I could have easily seen it as like a B-plot through the entire series, how he gets his patch, how he comes into his own in the club. He's got his, you know, the the cherry stuff on the side. Where could that have potentially gone? He's got just, he's got a gravity when he's in the scene and he stands out. Part of that is because he's a prospect. Part of that is because they made the choice to have this character stand out one of the things that they did they gave him a white motorcycle instead of a black one like the rest of the club and if you watch i think there's a youtube video where they talk about the bikes that it was a choice to give him something to show that he doesn't quite he's not quite in yet like 
he stands out. And I think his character stood out similarly. And I think it had a lot of potential. It's unfortunate the things, you know, that led to it. Um, let's just say the, the, the actor had, um, you know, stuff. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it at that because I'm keeping this podcast focused on the show. And within the context of the show, Half Sack was really great in season one. And I would have really loved to see the where that could have potentially gone based on where he was in season one. Our next character award is going to be the most underrated character. And for this one, I'm actually going with someone outside of the club entirely. I'm going Tara. I think she's underrated by a lot of people. She gets a lot of hate in like the fandom if you're on social media and you see something posted there's a lot of like there's a lot of pro Gemma anti-terra rhetoric kind of stuff or like pro jacks anti-terra uh people really connected with this show in ways that they 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 felt like or at least they seem online as if they felt like accosted that Tara could possibly try to take jacks away from the club and just hate this character for it I think she's kind of great, <laughs> particularly in season one. She's the only person that's not afraid to stand up to Gemma. She's a wildly successful surgeon who saves babies, by the way. She offers Jax the ability to grow into the person that he needs to become for the show. She's easy on the eyes, a believable partner for him because she's strong enough to stand on her own. Uh, but she also has her own demons. She has her own insecurities. She has her own trauma. She can handle pulling bullets out of Irish booties and handle herself enough to like shoot Cone in the gut when he tries to assault her. But she still also needs Jax in a way that's not overdone. But it's enough to make that relationship feel believable and good. She's just a solid character. Especially in season one. And not given, you know, I think the credit, in my opinion, that she deserves uh, for that as a character. Next award, Best Plot Development. And we couldn't do this without throwing a bone to the Prince of Charming himself, Jax Teller. And it's the way that he's coming into himself. It's balancing the information that he's getting in the writings from his father, trying to wrap his head around the club's future and seeing a different path for the club than what Clay sees, um, and ultimately like hardening as a cold-blooded killer, standing up to Clay and Tig for what they did to Donna, and yet doing so in a way that's not like, look at me, everybody, look at what I'm doing, but doing it with the mindset of the quote-unquote greater good in mind. He goes from stepson, following Clay's lead, and afraid to kill someone point-blank, to that cold-blooded killer who's ready to evoke change from within and take Clay down, become the leader that the club needs across 13 episodes. It's a great season arc. It's a really fun journey to go on, and it isn't exhausted out. There's still plenty of meat left on the bone to explore in the series, and it's 
but it's a, a great foundation of growth that he showed in order to get to where he needs to be for the rest of the series to play out. And it's not just him. Gemma and Clay's roles too, Tara's role, becoming a dad, even how he deals with Wendy. It's just continuous growth and evolution throughout this season for his character. Um, and so while he's not getting the he's not getting the most obvious who's the protagonist of this show, duh, the main character protagonist that the whole thing centers around and this essentially told through his story. But his growth and development, I think, is uh, very absolutely essential and meaningful to the plot itself, uh, particularly of season one. Uh, and I really appreciate it because I also connect a lot with that character. Now we're going with best plot twist. And it's Donna. This is kind of low-hanging fruit a little bit. But I'm not going with just her death. That's the obvious choice. But her character throughout the show, throughout the season, that was a plot twist. She spent the whole season wanting nothing but getting her family away from Sam Crow. And when she's finally forced with the option to flip and run or stay, she doesn't run. She sticks by Opie. And you actually see her happy about that. Something happens in that moment. Some kind of realization that she has after standing up to stall in the witness protection offer. And the way that she, like, she does the, what kind of mother are you going to be? The one that doesn't abandon her family? It's like that empowering moment for her flipped some kind of switch because she walks out of that building a different person than what she has been throughout the season. She's happy. The next time we see her, she's bubbly. She's giddy. She's happy that Opie's mom's in town and the kids are going to go stay with her for a bit and hang out so that she and Opie can have some one-on-one -on -one time and insinuating some hanky-panky going to take, take place. And that is that is not a feel that you have gotten at all in Season 1 from their relationship. And a lot of it has been driven by Donna not being happy about Opie and the club. And again, by the end, she's wanting to stay at, the, at Jax's party to help Gemma do, like, chores and stuff. Like completely wild the same character who like faced off and didn't want Gemma's charity in the parking lot of the grocery store when she couldn't buy her own groceries and Gemma bought them for her at the end was wanting to run to the grocery store to grab something for Gemma so she could help her clean up after Jax's party it was a complete twist for her character to go through that and then it was also the obvious twist when she gets in the wrong car. But she was ready to embrace the life in the club, the family. And then it's obviously ripped away. So the whole thing is a gigantic plot twist outside of the obvious. We're building this up as if Obi's going to die. We're going to kill Donna instead. But it was her character was the twist. And so, while yes, it is kind of the obvious, it's also 
more than that, in my opinion. So now, let's do some just random awards. These ones are just kind of fun. Uh, Total Badassery Award. This one's going to Don't Ever Sit on Another Man's Bike. (laughs) I love the scene. It's so badass. It's in episode four, Patch Over. The douchebag who treats his girlfriend like shit and Jax bashes his face with a helmet. It's just something that I wish that I could do sometimes when people are particularly shitty and I can't get away with in real life. And to me, that's what makes it badass. Like, it's not badass to actually assault people. It's badass what this scene was really doing. It was it was just a, a toxic masculinity show of brute force, yes. But it was also, this is a crappy dude who, like, puts his hands on his significant other and doesn't seem to have a respect for other people's, like, property. He just goes over and, like, gets all over somebody else's motorcycle to get pictures of it so that he can obviously show them off somewhere, somehow. I don't know if the gram is where he's going with them in whatever it was, 2000. It would have been either late 2008 or early 2009 when that episode took place. Um, He's just a really crappy dude. And to see him get his face bashed in, that's what makes it badass to me. And it's just fun. I love that scene. It brings me joy. My immature self enjoys it a lot. Uh, The I Didn't Expect to Laugh This Hard Award, it goes to Piney. He's got some really unexpectedly hilarious moments throughout the season, and they're just that. Moments. They're short, sweet, perfect moments. Not all of them, but the ones that are, are perfect. When Tig asks him if he can get high off his oxygen tank and, like, turns it way up, and, like, the face that he gets, like, oh, making me lightheaded, it's perfect. When Halfsack is tailing him and says that he tried to, like, wave at him because uh, he was getting lost, it's perfect. When he goes in and tells the bartender that he's got all the assistance that he needs and points at Halfsack, it's perfect. When he tells the dude he's ready to die, it's perfect. When he beats the chick with a pillow for trying to get high in his bed, it's perfect. Hell, it's pretty funny when he tells Opie to grow a dick and handle his business in, like, the first episode or whatever it was, or second episode. Um, he's just... He's a very stoic character who does not portray, like, comedy. He's not a jokester by any means. He's not really in on the rah-rah with the club when they're, you know, doing witty banter around or anything like that. So when he has his lines, like his one-liners of just, like, wonderfully comedic timing... It just hits so much harder, I think, and I enjoy it a lot. He's brash, he's cold, he's flawed, but he's got some of the funniest moments that you aren't expecting to see in season one. Now, how about the thank God they didn't do the stupid dumb thing award? (laughs) Uh, And this is Jax blowing Cone's head off immediately. So many shows do the thing, and this... The episode that I'm talking about um, what did the same thing, or was set up to do the same thing. It's, okay, Tara has been assaulted by Cone. She's t- 
taken his gun, shot him in the stomach, and he's sitting there bleeding on the floor. Tara calls Jax, and they could have easily, easily, in about a thousand different ways and scenarios, messed around long enough for him to get away, or for them to get caught, or for something stupid to happen. It doesn't happen. Jax walks over, bang, bang, well, well, actually, it's just one bang, bang, and that's it. Agent Cone is out of the show. And I appreciated it a lot, because most shows would do the drag it on, and are they ever going to do this, and how's he going to get away thing. Uh, quickly, let's do the dumbest shit I'd forgotten about award. Half sack stealing an ambulance and then immediately needing it for the new Irish contact cam, uh, Cameron. The, yeah, the, the new, yeah, uh, it's silly. It's super convenient. Um, it's dumb. I had forgotten about it. It's funny when he goes and does it, but then like it, you know, it's, it's just kind of cheesy, silly. Um, and, and I'd, yeah, whatever. Uh, last award that we're going to do for this is Dumbest Plot Device Award. Not to be confused with the Dumbest Shit I'd Forgotten About Award, but this is Dumbest Plot Device Award. And for me, this is Gemma having just, like, superhero plot vision. She always sees shit and dissects it and knows everything off of, like, one glance that go- is, is going on. And she's always giving some kind of information, like, she's receiving it and then immediately regurgitating it so that she can be the one to relay it to Jax or Clay or whatever. Like, she's, like, overpowered in the show, and to me it's dumb. The show's not dumb, the character isn't dumb, although I have my problems with Gemma throughout the series. It's this little all-knowing Gemma thing. That is dumb. That is dumb. And that's all I got for you this time. So what now? Well, I've got a new series that I'm launching into the mix. I've been dropping some hints on social media that I've just confirmed. Um, At the time of recording this, I pretty much just put that out there. But if you missed it, maybe you're not following on social media, which you should be doing. Um, I've got a new series that I'm going to be doing uh also by the way shout out to layla for the first one uh being the first one to get it right uh she guessed breaking bad quicker than anybody else um and i've never seen breaking bad so i'm really excited to do a true first time me reacting to a belated binge in its truest form um so that's going to be a lot of fun i think um i'm hoping uh i hope that you as a sons of anarchy fan also like Breaking Bad and will join me as I experience it for the first time. Um, And that is going to, the first episode of that is going to launch on January 1st. That's going to be like the, you know, new year, new me, um, which is what next, next week. So um, I'm, I'm stoked. I've heard nothing but great things about that show and I've never seen it. So I'm, I'm really hoping that that one, um, that that one goes off well. Um, so I'm going to get that launched and I'm still, then like, then I'm going to get to work on season two of Sons of Anarchy. Um, we might have a little like gap here, but my plan is to keep this ride going. Uh, this is my favorite show, so I don't 
plan on stopping watching it uh, and covering it for this podcast. So in the meantime, check out the other binges that are going on. I really do hope you enjoy my first time through Breaking Bad. You can follow me, as I mentioned, on social media for updates on everything. Um, And remember, life is short. Buy the motorcycle. When you do, wear a helmet, dress for the slide, not the ride, and remember to take belated binge Sons of Anarchy along for that ride.